If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of John, and we're in chapter 6, towards the end of chapter 6, towards the end. We've been seeing over the last several weeks God's sovereignty and salvation. God is the one who saves. I and none alone, God says, save. So this is several passages that we've looked at in the last three weeks. This is John 6.29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe upon him whom he hath sent. Then later in 37, this is 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Verse 39, chapter 6. This is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all the things which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up again on the last day. And then last week we looked at, at 44. No man come to me except that the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. So there is no doubt that God is in charge. He is sovereign. And I understand what the word sovereign means. It means whatever he says, that's the way it is. But today we're going to look at the fact that there's also responsibility. Our salvation, we are responsible to do what God has commanded. He commands us to trust his son. And that is directly to us. And there is responsibility. So we've looked already twice. He's already set this up. So looking in verse 35, Jesus saith unto him, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. So he's knitted the word believe and come together there. And this is verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth upon him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. And so here, that same idea of coming to him, the same idea of believing on him, is the same idea of seeing him. To seeing him and believing on him. So now we're going to look, if you remember, this is a, this is a group of people who have been fed miraculously. The people who he's speaking to were one of the 5,000 that Jesus had fed at one time. He, he simply took bread and fish, a little boy's lunch, a small amount to anybody's standard, and just kept breaking it. And he thanked God and broke it 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 and just kept distributing until everyone in a vast crowd had been fed. And these people went looking for him because they saw in that miracle that he could be a Messiah that could lead them the way he, they wanted to be led. He, he, they wanted a political leader. They wanted somebody that was strong enough and that had God's blessing that could, could essentially depose Rome. They knew that the Messiah was the son of David. They knew that he was the real king. They understood these things, and they wanted to make him king. But they came to Jesus, and Jesus gave them the gospel and they weren't interested. They weren't interested in the gospel. The gospel is that all these things I can do, yet not I. Christ lives in me. That Christ is the winner. Christ is the champion. It's not me being good. It's not me keeping my nose clean that God approves of. 
my, my fate has been sealed. I was condemned and knew that I was damned. I knew it. I knew on the inside. I knew on the outside. I knew when I laid my head down that I was not right, that there was a holy God that I was bound to, that I will stand in front of. And though there's hypocrites from one end of this earth to the other, I knew that I would stand on my own and would not last. I knew it. And only then did I say, is there a Savior for me? Is there mercy for me? And I went, and the gospel then made sense to me and never cared for it before. I was blind like everybody. I was dead like everybody. So there is a sovereignty of God. There is a sovereignty where God says, I'm going to give you the gospel. I'm going to teach it to you as clear as a bell. I'm going to let you feel it. I'm going to let you see it. I'm going to let you taste it. And now you have something to do. And these people heard the gospel. Jesus has just said, I am the bread of life. And they were not interested. They didn't want that type of guy. They wanted some other guy to do the thing that they wanted him to do. And they were auditioning him for this role. And Jesus was like, oh, no, it doesn't work that way at all. So let's read this connecting this next passage, starting in verse 48. And we're going to read from 48 to 58. By the way, this is the most shocking part of the New Testament. When I knew that I was going to preach through John, I thought, you know you're going to have to preach through John 6. If you pick John, you're going to have to get to this passage. Okay, because there is nothing more shocking, I don't think, in the whole of the Bible than this. And Jesus knew what he was doing. He, he wasn't mousy. He said this most audaciously. And so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let it sit the way God made it sit. Okay, this is starting in verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily I say to you, except that you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood blood you have no life in you whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and i will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwelleth in me and i in him as the living father has sent me and i live by the father so he that eateth me even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Can you look at the last verse? This is where I pulled the title, and that's always important. The title tells you the thrust, all right? He said just now, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. 
So there's a way to eat and die, and there's a way to eat and live. Now, there isn't anyone that can read this and not just be appalled. Jesus said this the most shockingly he could. In fact, he, I think he reveled in it. I think he, he rubbed it in their face almost like a pie in the face. It's, it's strange to think that Jesus would try to be as, as like, absolutely makes your, makes your nerves stand on end. But he did this on purpose. If you remember, these people were rejecting him. They were rejecting him. They were wanting a different Messiah. They were wanting somebody different. They did not want what God had, had offered. God offered God the Son, the most perfect man that's ever lived. Still, there is no man that's ever lived like this man. But more than that, he's the God who made us. He's the God that we owe to bow our knee, period. Whether he ever came to save us, he demands the respect and absolute humble adoration of every one of his creatures. But this is what he's offering himself. He's offering himself to these people, and they weren't interested because people don't want the gospel. They want other things. They don't want the gospel because the gospel requires that you, first of all, submit to a God who's above you, and people won't do that. I don't mind someone else having a power as long as I can manipulate that power, but God does not allow you to manipulate him. God will allow you to come to him in mercy, he will, he will treat you kindly for Jesus' sake. Anyone that comes to him, he will not in any wise cast out. But to come to him in any other way, and he will reject you. And his rejecting in these, these people is the most amazing thing. He is telling them the absolute truth of the gospel. And at the same time, they're repulsed by it. And they are all going to go away. And next week, you're going to see a whole lot of disciples who have followed Jesus have going to hear what he just said and say, oh, I don't know what I was thinking. Why are we following this man? And they all leave. Scads and scads of people who have followed him day after day after day, not rejecting him, are like, wait a second, this is more than I can handle. Okay, cannibalism and vampirism, no way. I'm not interested in any of this. But yet what he was saying, he was talking about something that was true, but not true in a way that you would eat blood. There's no blood even in the Jewish religion. You didn't eat blood. And you didn't, you didn't eat people. There wasn't any, you couldn't offer yourself for any reason. You couldn't say, I'm going to cut off my arm as a, as a sacrifice. God wouldn't accept it. You couldn't kill someone and you couldn't kill yourself. You couldn't say, I'm going to commit suicide for God. God is like, oh, that's never entered my mind. So Jesus is talking about something in a way that he has just mentioned. He's already set up. He's defined these terms already. And all he's doing now is basically saying, really, you're rejecting me? Then go. If you remember, if you remember Judas Iscariot decides that he's going to take 20 pieces of silver and that he needs to go so that he can get the crowd around because he knows Jesus is going to be. He was like, I need to leave real early. Can I be excused? And Jesus looked straight at him and said, what you're going to do, do right now. Right now. Don't wait. can't be tomorrow. It has to be now. If you're going to reject God, well, your own decisions are your decisions, and they're your decisions. 
You are not a puppet in God's hand. You're not a marionette that he controls. He is sovereign in every way, and you are responsible in every way. And he will, through his very gospel, repulse you to where you are so vomitously rejecting him, you'll reject him with your full heart. There will be people in hell that will curse God forever, never stopping their curses upon his name because they hate him with increasing hatred as they realize that that forever and ever and ever the, the sign on the door will be, you will be damned. Not you are being damned. You will be damned. No matter a billion years will pass, you will still have future tense and you will hate God with every fiber because you can't stand that he has power over you. And Jesus is going to be shocking here to these people who've rejected him. But if you haven't rejected him, if you haven't left him, if you haven't been so repulsed by him, if there isn't anything other that will keep you from actually hearing his words, the gospel actually is very, very much here. Because he didn't stop preaching the gospel. He was simply insisting that what you do, you do quickly. You're going to reject me? Reject me quickly. Now, that, that's a fearful, fearful thing, to fall into the hands of, the, of an angry God. But he doesn't need to be angry because a Savior was offered In any breathing man's nose, a Savior was offered to us. And if you know this person and you have a hunger for this person, if God gives you a taste for him and you want him and you want him and you want him and you come to him the way he offered himself to be come to, he will no wise reject you. He will accept you with the most worst record in the world. He will will reject you, the hypocrites. He will reject you, the ones who are are a false... uh, a false conversion, he will, he will accept you. There is nothing that you can do that will prevent it because you are not being judged on you. You are being judged on the perfect life of the perfectly acceptable sacrifice. That God, It was God's idea. So let's start here. This is verse 48. I am that bread of life. They, they wanted him to make manna. Every day, like Moses did, to prove that he was the Messiah so that they would know that he was the one that they wanted to go and beat up Rome. They wanted to follow him. They wanted a political uh, rally. And they, they were like, if you can do this, then you'll prove to us that you're the one that we're looking for. Make manna. Make it again. Make it again. Make it again. Make bread again like you did yesterday. That's what they came for him. And he's saying, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. Now, Keep that in your mind. Your fathers were given sustenance day after day after day in the wilderness for 40 years. They went out and they looked for, they looked for what is this, was what manna means. And they found it on the ground and they didn't need to have a, a Walmart. They simply went and they gathered up as much as they want. And no matter what you gathered, you didn't gather too much and you didn't gather too little. It was enough. It was, it was sustaining. It was a picture of Jesus Christ. It wasn't better than Jesus Christ. And these people would rather have the picture and not have Jesus Christ, thank you very much, because we want what we want. And he said, your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. There is a provision of God that allowed them to still be dead at the end. It was providing them, but they had no faith. There was no faith mixed with, with the 
what was preached to them. They had no faith, and their body, their dead carcasses, littered the wilderness until everyone from that generation was gone. Then he took them into the promised land. So he's saying something is true. You're wanting something that is food that will perish. If you remember, he just said, don't labor for food that will perish, but labor for food that will endure unto eternal life. And he's saying, be so careful. I am that food that will endure to eternal life. You still want that food like your fathers wanted, and they are dead. This is the bread which comes down to heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. So he is, he is talking so profound to them. And I don't know that people can actually listen to God speak and understand. When God is speaking so deep and, mo- and I'm shallow, I don't listen carefully. I don't listen deeply. I, everything is a shallow. Everything is a YouTube. Everything is a TikTok. Everything is a five-second blip in my uh, short attention span. And God is t- taking me right to the very bottom of a bottomless ocean and telling me something so true, and I'm not ready for it. It can immediately just go over my head like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But he's giving an analogy. He's, he's, not, he's, he's the one who came down out of heaven. He came down out of heaven, and this bread depicts why he came. He is bread for the soul. He's bread that keeps you alive, that nourishes you, that, that feeds you, that strengthens you, that, 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 me, that allows you to have delight in this life. And he gave them delight from heaven to be eaten. Anyone that will eat of him, and that is, that is his image that's so disturbing here will be provided with life. So this was as easy as it could be, this first part. This was easy. Let's talk about bread. So what did I write? Are you all, Everyone in this room could have written my sermon notes. Eating is necessary for life. Why? Because if you don't eat, you don't live. You must eat. You must take it into you. And do you see, the, do you see that he's speaking about himself? You, whatever is him must be taken into you. It must be taken into you. So, so my pizza oven won't help me if I don't eat it. It doesn't matter how good the crust is and how squishy the, the inside is. and I, I don't care. I can, I can marvel about its, uh, its aroma. I can marvel about the structure. I can, I can think about how wonderful it is. I can melt that slabby bub, butter right over it and let it drip off the sides. And if I never take it into my, myself, it will never nourish me. I can love it. I can talk about it. I can be the fan club of it. I can do everything about it, but I have to take it or it means nothing to me. So it's the same. For you to look at the truth, to memorize the truth, to sing about the truth, to talk about the truth, and not take that truth in means that you're not benefiting by it at all. It, Jesus is not a philosophy. It's not a, it's not a, a bunch of things that you know it's not, it's not smart people stuff. It is life. It's, that, it's the life or death. It's that idea that if I don't eat, I do die. And I will die slowly, and I'll die in a, in a painful way to where I just shrivel to nothing, and then I'm emaciated, and then I just stop breathing. That is exactly what he's saying. If you want life eternal, you must take what I am, and put it to the inside. You must internalize me. It has to be part of you. It cannot be part of something else, and it can't be just something that you think about. It can't be external. It can't be something that you don't, that you, that you just 
talk about the wonders of, but aren't really taking it into yourself. The second thing I wrote, easy, easy. Eating is prompted by hunger. You don't eat if you're not hungry. If you're not hungry, you're not going to want it. I mean, there's no dinner on your table like Thanksgiving dinner, an hour into dinner. That food is still just as abundant. That table's creaking with food that's right there in front of you, still warm, and I couldn't touch a bite. I wouldn't want, I, could, I have to sit up in my chair because I, I, if you scrunch down, you're too full. So like, you have to just keep, keep getting taller and taller because you can't handle it. And the thought of another roll, the thought of another tryptophan turkey sandwich just makes me just want to go. And you think, well, wait, wait, why? This is as good as it gets. There isn't any better because I'm full. I have to want it or it's not delicious to me. If I must want it or, or it, it's not just neutral. Oh, no, thank you. I'm not, I'm not hungry. That's always a lie if I tell you that. I'm not hungry. No, I'm hungry. It's just, no. And it's that idea that I actually have to be stuffed to the gills before it's repulsive. And, and I tell you, therein is what Jesus is talking about. You are stuffed with something. And it doesn't really matter. If you're stuffed with whatever you're stuffed with, if what you love is what you have, you're not going to want Jesus. There's other things you want, but you're not going to want him. You're not gonna, he's not going to be delightful to you. He's not going to be attractive to you. And it's very, very possible, depending on how full you are, it might, that he might be absolutely repulsive. I've got kids who would never, 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 never walk into a church building. How on earth can a 14-year-old be so marred already? What has happened? What has happened in their past? I, I have no idea. That, that they would think that already God would strike them dead if they were to ever do anything close to, to bowing their knee to Jesus Christ. But it's absolutely true. In this county, in this town, I know them by name. And I, it just absolutely amazes me. How is it possible? But it is very possible. There's people who would never dare. I've invited 30 people to Sunday school in the last three months. And it's amazing to watch them just squirm like, well, as though, you know, I'm sorry, I just don't want the lightning to come right out of the east sky at me. Because I, for me to come and act, because do you understand the non-gospel is the air that we breathe in this world. The non-gospel that somehow God is treating you because you're gooder than someone else. And you, of course, can act that way socially. But in your deep self, when you head your pillow at night, you know it's you. You know you're not right with God. And you know that if you were to act right, you're a hypocrite and that's worse than anything. And I agree, it's worse than anything. Because a hypocrite is faking themselves as well as they're faking the world. And they, they're not fooling themselves and they're not fooling the world either. So they're absolutely right. If they think that that's the gospel, is that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. I'm sorry. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ endured torment, eternal and infinite, who never knew a sin so that people like us who know nothing but sin, from morning to night, we, know, we breathe nothing. We do nothing except offend God. And God accepts us for Jesus' sake. 
and he rewards us as though we did right. And he works in our lives that you do look better than you used to. I promise you I look better than I used to. You might look at me and sneer, but I was worse, I promise. I promise I was worse. So eating is prompted by hunger. And when your stomach is gnawing and you're dizzy with, with about to faint and someone opens the door and you smell fresh yeast dough and you're just like, it'll send you to your knees. And the thought of real butter and not margarine, I'm sorry, is like, oh, that's enough, that's enough, I want it now. And I don't care that dinner's in 15 minutes, that's right now mine. And I, it will be that way. This is Luke 6, woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. If you're so full that you don't want Jesus, then you're not going to take him. His offer will mean nothing to you. Now, that is amazing because I just said God was sovereign. He sovereignly did it. And you want nothing to have of him. You want nothing. You're fine. Thank you. No, no, no. I've got fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. That's just the way. But when God awakens you to your lost condition, however the hunger You'll hunger for forgiveness. You'll hunger for deliverance. You'll hunger for peace. You'll hunger for love. You'll hunger for hope. And that will drive you to the bread of life. When you realize that you're in a desert, when you realize there's nothing on your tongue and that you are going to die here and that there's nothing for you and there has never been anything for you and then there's a taste on your mouth. Oh, you want him. You want him. You want him. You want him. When you are lost enough in your own eyes, then salvation is offered to you. If you do not want him, if you're not sick, you will not go to the doctor. If you are not hungry, you will not come to the table. Isaiah said it this way. This is from 55. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. And he that has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that is which satisfies not. Hearken diligently unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in the fatness. Third thing I wrote down is when you eat food, it becomes you. Your food becomes you. And I've noticed that the more food you eat, the more of you there is. And that's profound. It, the metaphor holds. To take in Jesus Christ and not simply be a hypocrite, not simply say, okay, I'll observe whatever observances is required of me to be whatever I am, but to absolutely, for, for, to be panting after him. I decided not even to go there. There, there are a hundred places I could take you in the Psalms of, oh God, I'm just, I'm just thirsty like a deer lapping up the water in a brook that there's no water and I'm so thirsty I just want you I'm, my heart aches for you I just want you like I'm in a desert that is God did that God made you hungry or you wouldn't be hungry God made you thirsty or you would not thirst you can't you can bring a horse to water and not make him drink but you can salt the hay and I promise God salts your hay every day of your life until you realize there's nothing here I want I have fought with this world. I've wanted what everybody else wants. I've gotten some, and it didn't delight me, and I didn't get all my pony the way I wanted. And, 
you will realize that God says, it's nothing. It's a vapor. It's a, it is an illusion. And you don't want it. It's not satisfying. You're eating and nothing is happening. You're, you're weaker now than you were before. I did say, too, that no one can eat for another person. I can't say I'm too busy. Will you have dinner for me? Okay. I can have you do something for me, but I can't have you eat for me. It has to be mine. It has to be mine. It, it, I need it. I has, it has to come from my own hunger. It has to come from my own desire. and it has to come to me. So when we meet corporately, we are meeting as worshiping families who are coming together. And when you meet with your family for worship, you are worshiping singles that are coming together to worship together. And then when you worship as a family, there's power in that because you are truly saying, God, I want you. I don't want to simply recite the truth about you. I want you. I want you in me. And that, and John said, is the hope of glory. Your hope of any glory in this world is that Jesus Christ is in you and that you are commune with him, that you're an amalgamated with him, that when, you, when he asked you to marry him and you said yes, that you become one with him and you'll never be separated. And God does not think of you as separate from his son. He answers you as though Jesus asked that, those requests. And he will reward you with Jesus' inheritance because you are his just as his son is his. That is a mystery beyond anybody's comprehension. That, that it's not just God lets you in if you get by with a 69.5. Okay, it's even lower now. It's a 59.5. If we keep going... We'll all get into heaven, we think. It's just the way it works. As long as, the, as long, God is grades on a curve and everybody's worse than me, absolutely not. That's not how it works. All of your sins were put on the beautiful head of Jesus, and he suffered in our place. And, that, and so we are rewarded like that. You come on your own. You come on your own. And you come on your own because he said, this is, he, it's his voluntary situation. Look back what it said said, and this light, and the, if any man in this, uh, let's see, this is 51. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And this bread is the, it, that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I am going to die for you. I'm going to die for you. And he's speaking to people that he knew in his, in his omniscience would never come to him. But he's giving them the gospel. And so when you say that the bread of life is for you and that bread is only if it's broken, he's going to say later, unless a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, then it produces much fruit. Jesus was going to be ground on that cross. For him to be the bread, is not a, it's an image of, of, of gruesome bloodiness. And as shocking as he is in this passage, it's not near as shocking as it actually is that the Son of God would die for me. That, explain that. Explain that. It's so common to us to think about it. Jesus died for you. You could tell the three-year-olds that. He died for you. What on earth does that mean? That God would take on my sin and be punished in my place? How on earth is that the truth? Except that that's the gospel. And if you look at the gospel with eyes to hear it and see it, 
and take it and want it, then he will give you life everlasting. But if you are, if you are somehow philosophical about it, then you can be all the church attender you want, and there is no life for you. You can be the worst drug seller that you want to be in this town, and there is no life for you. Life comes when you come to the, to the offered bread and take that bread. One Christian witness is no more than one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. But you have to be hungry for the bread. And if you're not hungry for the bread, the beggar just goes, ah, I don't care, I'm a beggar, it doesn't matter to me anyway. Don't think that the poor is, is virtuous just because they're poor. Or that the rich is virtuous because they're rich. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, is there a desire do you want him? That was the question that I asked Josie at her baptism. I asked two questions. Have you trusted him? Do you want him? That is how I know I'm saved. Do I want him? Do I want him? Do I want him? Do I want him? Then I'm saved. Do I want him? Am I hungry for him? Then I go to him. And to go to him is salvation. And he said, I'm going to give it for the world. I'm going to give it for the world. That's substitution. That's the gospel. This is what they're rejecting. This is what they're rejecting. That I, for them, I give it for them. Let me just take you quickly through the, through the epistles. Let me just show you. Substitution, substitution. This is the gospel. Jesus instead of me. Not Jesus helping me out. Jesus, instead of me on the cross. Jesus, instead of me in his life. Jesus, instead of me. My peace is him. My righteousness is him. That, my standing is him. My standing is not me. The gospel is not me trying real hard. The gospel is that Jesus Christ accepted God and then offered himself to you. That is the gospel. This is Galatians 1.4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. The life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's the life that is eternal, by the way. You don't wait for pie in the sky when you die by and by. This is life eternal starts immediately upon taking Christ as he offered himself to you as the bread. This is Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice. He gave God the sacrifice. He gave God the ransom for us. He gave nothing to us. We're the beneficiaries of Jesus' act of, of obedience, devotion, and love to his Father, and I benefit from that. As I, if, if, as I am tied to Christ, who, whatever blessings are in Christ are mine. First Timothy 2, who gave himself a ransom for, for all. Do you see it? It's amazing. John 6, let's continue. It's 52, the Jews then strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give his flesh to eat? It's, it's striking. It's disgusting. And it's not even, it's going to get worse. This idea of, of a cannibal? A vampire? Really? See, he's already defined it. He defined it in 35 when he said, he who comes to me and believes in me will have eternal life. That's defined. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about anything new. And in 40 when he said, anybody who sees the Son and believes on him shall have eternal life and I'll raise him up. 
That's what he's talking about. This bread that you take into you is the same. To take in the bread is the same as to see him. To take in the bread is the same as to believe on him. It's the same as to come to him. These are words that, that the words are too puny to be used correctly because it's referring to a, to a soul with their maker. That's too profound. You have to use human language because that's how we talk, but you, you have to stretch words when you're talking about God. You have to stretch them. And it's their willful ignorance that makes them say, what does it mean we're going to have his flesh to eat? as though somehow we're cannibals. The other thing that I do not see that this means is has nothing to do with the Lord's table. This is not remembering that, that, that Jesus died for you. This is not remembering that he shed his blood and because this has not been instituted. He has not instituted the Lord's table. And, and I disagree with Catholic doctrine here that, that the bread and the wine become the very true body and blood of Jesus Christ and that you're taking that on as though somehow that act is salvific, that it saves you because you do something. I, I see that that is wrong. I see that that is wrong. This is not what he's talking about. He's taking whatever he is needs to be in you and it becomes part of you and you are rewarded with his rewards. You are connected with him bound to him as though that you are baptized into him. That is the, that's the concept. That's the whole idea. This is 53. And here's the shocker. Melissa said, are you really going to preach on drink my blood and eat my flesh? And I said, I'm preaching through John. She said, oh, can't wait to see this one. That's what she said. So this is 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say to you, except that you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him as the living Father sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. You want me to be your Messiah? That's what Jesus is saying. You want me to be your Messiah? Then you accept my death. You accept my death. A bloody Messiah is no Messiah. In their minds, a bloody Messiah is no, no, no Messiah. Jesus was like, that's the only Messiah offered to you. You, you take what God gives you, with, even, if, even with a lack of understanding. You take what God has supplied with you, trusting that he is the one who knows what you need. And you need me. And he's just as bold. Just as bold. It's that idea that Jesus is not running after you. Oh, but you have to understand. Maybe you, maybe, oh, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Jesus is like, ha, drink my blood. And people are just like, what? What? Like, how can you deal with that? How could you, what? That's just too shocking. He's like, take it or leave it. Because do you understand the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God are at the same? He is speaking to your hearts, giving you eyes to see, working in you that you delight in him, that you want him. And when he, hate to steal the thunder from next time, are you all going to leave too? And Peter goes, 
where are we going to go? Like, we already know too much. We already know who you are. We already saw you and Peter get back in the boat. It's done. It's over. We learned the lesson. So when you, when you desire him and you take him, and this is the Jesus that's offered, do not make up your own Jesus. Don't make up your own Jesus. This is the Jesus that's offered to you. You must deal with my death, Jesus says. Paul does the same. Paul's talking to the people in Athens, and he says, he reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered. I love the King James Version. Must needs have suffered. Had to do it. He had to suffer. Nobody wanted a suffering Messiah except Isaiah. And he didn't even quite understand. God is the idea that I, in order for you to be saved, I have to be, I am just. Your sins must be punished. The, my, my son had to die in your place. Otherwise, there is no way because I can't just look at you and say, oh, I forgive you. Because God would not be God if he could do that. He wouldn't be God. Let me finish here. Let me compare 40 to 45. Can you, you should have your Bible in your lap, I would hope. Look at 40 and look at 45. Okay? Now, 40 is before the shocker. And 45 is right in the middle of the shocker. See if there's comparison here. Verse 40 says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believes on him shall have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up the last day. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise them up the last day. It's the same. And it says here that my, bread, my body is true food, and my blood is true drink. They will live because of me. This is the way that you will live. The food that makes you live into eternal life is me. That is necessary. It's necessary, prompted by hunger, that you must do on your own. And it must be continuous. It's repeated all the time. You take upon you. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna that are dead. There's the zinger. Not in the same way that God provided them with manna and that they ate and are dead. You must take me as part of you, and that will be life that will last forever. And they walked away. Don't know. Could you walk away from Jesus with his hand extended to you? I don't know. I, I, I guess you could. Could you walk away where all of all of your crimes were put upon the clean head of Jesus and he has reaching out like this and you just say, no, maybe, maybe later. Is there a greater insult in the world than that? There is no. These people deserve their damnation as I deserve the damnation that will never come to me. So there will be nobody in hell that didn't deserve to be in hell. But if there is anything in it that you can see that will put a taste in your mouth, then God is offering you life. And he wants it for you. He aches for you to want what he wants for you. And I'll end it there. Come to the Lord Jesus. He will in no wise cast you out.
Amen.